It seems to me that in every religious group, every religion, every, every gathering of people around some type of ideology, there is always a sense of some people are in and some people are out. Some people are a part of the group, some people are not a part of the group. Each of the, every religion, every ideology has different rules for what makes people in and out. But the reality is there are people who are in and there are people who are out. And one of the things that every religious group, I think, is trying to figure out in one way or another, including Christianity, is who's in and who's out. And, and we, we spend a lot of time thinking about that, processing that, trying to determine that, who's in and who's out. And, and in our culture today, it's not, always, it's not always welcomed that there are people who are in and out, but that's just the reality of the way things operate. And Jesus weighs in on, on that whole question as the Sermon on the Mount comes to an end. In one sense, he's sort of been talking about that in, in subtle ways from the beginning. But now as you come to the end of it, he's, he's much more intense, much more in our faces about it. And he says, there is a dividing line. There is a line. There are people who are in, there are people who are out. And he uses a few uh, metaphors and examples to help us understand how, the fact that there are people in and out. He talks about the fact that there are people who walk through a narrow gate and people who walk through a wide gate. And people who walk through a narrow road and a wide road. And there are people who end up in, in life and people end up in destruction. And there are prophets who are false and by implication prophets that are true. And then you have this whole thing about houses and the foundation on which the house rests. Every one of these, of these images is, is about who's in and who's out. And as Jesus continues this discussion, he, um, he, he says to us that it's sometimes difficult to know who's in and who's out. Because there are people who look like they're in and they're really out. And as we go on through the gospel, we find that there are people who everybody thinks are out and they're in. And, and as Jesus unfolds this story, when you get to verses 16 to 20, and he's talking about false prophets, he's in many ways sort of um, revising uh, what many of the Old Testament prophets say, including the prophet Jeremiah that we read from a few moments ago. Jeremiah talks about false prophets, and they're leading people astray, and they have a false image of God. And Jesus says, here's how you know whether a prophet is true or false. Here's how you know if you're in or out. It's about fruit. It's about what you do. It's not so much what you know, as important as that is. It, it's not so much that you are following the law and the rituals, as important as that might be. But it's really about fruit. It's about actions. Because what's in us eventually comes out of us. And what comes out of us is an indication of what's in us. And so he says, look at the fruit. Look at how people live. Look at their actions. When he gets to the end of this and he's talking about the houses and the foundations, he says, here's the difference between the people who build on a solid foundation and people who build on a crumbling foundation, is that both people hear. It's not a problem of not being able to hear. It's a problem of what you do about what you hear. 
And people who hear and follow Jesus and obey Jesus are building a solid foundation. And those who hear and go their own way and don't follow Jesus are building a crumbling foundation. And it's the line. And I think that what Jesus is talking about is the sense of how we understand his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. How do we, what is he saying to us here? He's saying to us that sometimes we think being in is all about what we know. It's all about following the rules. In fact, he's talking about these prophets. They know the the letter of the law. They do the letter of the law, but they've completely missed the intent and the spirit of the law. I think it takes us all the way back to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not just, uh, not just the beginning of this, of a number of different ideas. The Beatitudes are the foundation for all the rest of the things that Jesus says and probably all of the way that Jesus, everything else Jesus says and lives his life. Because to be in the kingdom, to hear and follow, to hear and obey... To build the right kind of foundation, to walk the narrow road and through the narrow gate is to embrace what Jesus says in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Because people in the kingdom, how do they act? What do they do? They're poor in spirit instead of making sure everyone knows how wonderful they are. They mourn over the, the pain and the agony and, and the sin and the burden of the world and a people that people face as opposed to being apathetic and disengaged from it. They are meek, humble, rather than arrogant. They are, they are peacemakers rather than people who are always stirring up the pot. They are merciful, even when everything in them wants to be vindictive. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. As opposed to actually sometimes being the cause of injustice. They are willing to be be persecuted and to suffer because they follow Jesus. I mean, all of these things he's talking about and everything else that Jesus says is really not just about loving God, but it's the fact that we are open to God and we love other people. We care about people. We are, we are passionate about what people are facing and what they're dealing with. And, and we, want to, we live our lives as, as a being, to be agents of healing and grace and mercy for people. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to give up our comforts because it's in the best interest of other people. We see people in need and we're willing to give up something in order to help meet those needs. We care about other people just as Jesus does. We live the golden rule. And it actually, it's not even so much doing to others as, as, they, as we want them to do to us, but it's doing to others like Jesus does to others. Our hearts are turned outward instead of always thinking about us. What's in it for me? What's best for me? How do I protect myself? How do, how do I go through life being, being as, as little, little vulnerable as possible? How do I get? And Jesus says, no, it's about how you give. It's about how you serve. It's about how you love. 
This is what people who are citizens of the kingdom do. That's, that's the sign, that's the fruit of being in the kingdom. I, I think this comes back in many ways to the spiritual disciplines. How do, we, how do we develop that kind of spirit? How do we develop that kind of life, that, that kind of openness to God that we'll do whatever he wants us to do and, and that creates a, a spirit of love for other people? It, it's, it's practicing the spiritual disciplines. But sometimes we practice them with sort of, how, what's the least I can do and, and still make God happy? And Jesus, throughout the sermon, and in many other places we see this, that practicing the spiritual disciplines is about having a passion for the spiritual disciplines. Because we realize they are a gift from God. We talk about worship, coming together in worship, and studying the scriptures, and prayer, and silence, and solitude, and fasting, and giving what we have, and serving other people. All of the spiritual disciplines, instead of seeing them as a burden, we see them as a gift. They are an opportunity, they are a means for God to work in our hearts and to transform us and to make us into people he created us to be so that we can build a solid foundation. Because at some point, the storms are going to come. Storms actually reveal the kind of foundation that we've built. Without storms, you could build a house on the sand and it would probably last. But when the storms come, It tests the foundation. It reveals what kind of foundation the house has been built on. And and the storms are going to come because the evil one is present in this world and, and he is continually bringing things against us. Pain and heartache and struggle and difficulty and opposition. And he's continually, he's continually coming against us with storms. We don't have to wait until the day of the of the final judgment to know if we built on a good foundation or not. We can see it now. Because the storms reveal the kind of foundation we're building our lives on. Is it a foundation that's built on on embracing all of the truths that that Christ teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount and wanting that kind of life? Or is it a foundation that's built on what we want, on selfishness and self-centeredness? And the result of what happens with our house when the storm comes is the kind of foundation we've built. That we want the kingdom to be exactly what God says it is. And that we embrace that. We embrace the fact that he calls us to humility and vulnerability and forgiveness and mercy and love and hurting with other people and being completely open to him that we do whatever he's asking us to do. And we're not going to do that perfectly because none of us are perfect. But it's the intent of our heart. It's the desire of our heart. And what Jesus is saying about the fruit is that if it's the intent of your heart, more often than not, that's what's going to come out. That's what it looks like to be in the kingdom. I sometimes think that when we talk about the narrow gate and, and, the, and the wide gate and, and, and all of these things about how we enter... I think sometimes we think of it as sort of a, um, I don't know, a, a gate of privilege. It made me think of uh, about 10, 11 years ago, someone very generously gave to us uh, tickets to the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament in New York City. And Andrew and I went, and it was awesome. And we, we got, when we got into, the, into the, uh, the grounds, we went to the gate 
that, uh, that takes you into the stadium, Arthur Ashe Stadium. And as we were, looked, the guy looked at our tickets, he goes, oh, no. He goes, you've got special tickets. You get to go around to the special gate. I'm like, oh, we get to go to the special gate? Cool. So we walked to the special gate, and I'm standing in line at the special gate, and I'm thinking to myself, all those other people are jealous of us that we get to go in the special gate. Because I've been where they are, and I know how it feels to look at these people and think, man, I wish I could go in that gate. But we have to go in this gate. And, and we stood there, and we went in, and we saw some celebrities, and we, we were in this beautiful suite, and they served us this amazing meal, and we sat on the balcony and watched the tournament. It was awesome. And I'm looking down at all the other people, all the other losers that weren't able to come into the great gate, and thinking, we're here because we had tickets to the special gate. And that's how we got in here. And it's too bad you guys didn't get tickets to the special gate. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, like, I had anything to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with it. They were just given to me. And I think sometimes that's how we view the narrow gate, that, that it's narrow and only a few people find it because it's so special. And, and, it, and it's, just, it's just limited to a few people who have figured things out. They know enough or they've done enough or they've reached a high enough place that, that they get to be in. I think that's what, what leads to our, our whole mindset about judging other people, about who's in and who's not. And we look at people and think, well, you know, they don't really measure up, so they're out. And sometimes we judge ourselves that way. But I think, actually, if you want to think about a gate, maybe the gate Jesus is describing is a lot more like those, uh, the kind of things you see at an amusement park, where they have the little sign that says you have to be this tall to ride. You, know, you can't get in unless you're this tall. And because this ride is dangerous and you can't make it. The only thing is, Jesus reverses it. And he says, the only way you can get in is if you're this small. The only way you can get in is if you're willing to stoop. If you're willing to be vulnerable. If you're willing to be meek and humble. If you're willing to be merciful. And gracious, if you're willing to be persecuted for his name's sake. It's not really about how tall we are. It's about how short we're willing to be. How childlike. Isn't it Jesus himself who said, unless you become like little children, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you have the kind of faith to believe that openness to God And a surrendered spirit to God and a willingness to love and to give to other people is what allows us to enter the gate. And the reason few people enter is because a lot of us just simply don't want to stoop. And yet it is Jesus himself of whom Paul writes who says, Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Became a human being and took on the nature of of a servant and went to a cross. It is embracing that mindset. It's embracing that truth that makes the difference between being in and out. But here's the thing that I've discovered. We spend so much of our time trying to judge other people by whether they're in or out. And all it does is create within us a judgmental spirit. 
And I've ne- never yet met anyone who was judged into the kingdom. I've just never met them. Maybe you have, but I've never met anyone who was judged into the kingdom. I've met people who have been loved into the kingdom. And I've met people who have been humbled into the kingdom. And have been, uh, through an act of mercy, entered the kingdom. But never being judged. And I know our thought is, well, we need to know who needs to know about Jesus and who doesn't. Here's the honest truth. We all need to hear about Jesus. And some people need to hear different things about Jesus. But what everybody needs to experience from us is the love of Jesus. Because if people are not in the kingdom, then they need to know that Jesus loves them. And we need to be agents of grace into their lives so that they will want to enter the kingdom. And those of us who might be in the kingdom are continually needing others to love us, to help us continue to keep growing as people in the kingdom. The truth is, to to act in love toward other people is never, never comes to its end. Because it's an eternal thing. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of, of, of all that we will ever know. As people of the kingdom. The question in my mind is, why do we do this? Why do we sacrifice? You know, why do we give up? First of all, if you really think about it, what are we giving up? What are we really giving up when we stoop? What do we give up when we embrace the ideas of the Beatitudes and and the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus as he fulfills the law and everything that God has ever taught us. What are we really giving up? We're giving up the vicious cycle of trying to protect ourselves. We're giving up the vicious cycle of trying to prove to people how important we are. We're giving up the vicious cycle of trying to protect everything that we have so that no one will take it. We're giving up the vicious cycle of, of, of trying to live our lives selfishly. I mean, when you think about it, what are we really giving up? And I am convinced that we will understand that when we begin to understand who God is. Because at the heart of everything Jesus says here, it's taking us back to what he says earlier in chapter 7, that, that God is the, is the Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And when you get to the end of the, of the sermon, Matthew summarizes by saying, all the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he had an authority that all the other teachers didn't have. And I don't think that that, that means primarily that Jesus had a, had a voice that grabbed people's attention. I think what he was telling them grabbed their attention. That they were beginning to understand that this God Jesus is describing is very different from the God we've been told about. Very different from the way all the other religious leaders speak about God. And I'm coming to to be convinced that everything we think and the way that we live in some way or another comes back to our view of God. Because if we see God as an unpleasable taskmaster, if we see God as a boss who is always demanding more and more of us, 
If we see God as all about rules and lists and measuring up, then our life will be about demands and rules and measuring up. And not only for us, but for everybody else. But if we can see that God is the one who is loving and compassionate and full of grace and mercy and who loves to give good gifts to his children, not so we can just keep doing whatever we want to do, but to set us free from doing whatever we want to do. To set us free from the power of sin that controls our lives and and that leads us to misery. We can be set free from that through the grace of God in Christ. And we come to this table because our God is merciful and gracious and good, so much so that he loved the world and he sent his son to die for us. This is the God that Jesus is describing and calling us, inviting us to embrace. A lot of you have probably had uh, experience with funnels. You know, you're putting oil in your car or using it to put something into a bottle. Funnels are a great thing. I don't know who invented a funnel, but it's a, it's a great thing. And I suspect we all have one in our home someplace. I was reading something this week about funnels in this passage. And in his book, Living the Resurrection, Glenn Stossen says that he had read somewhere that someone had described what Jesus says like a funnel. If you turn it on the side, you can, you, can, you can move through it. And he said it's sort of like Jesus is saying, which way do you want to enter this funnel? You can choose to enter it on the wide end and do whatever you want, live your life however you want to, just, just be self-centered. And it feels like freedom, but eventually it catches up with you because it gets narrow and constricting and it leads to destruction. Or you can enter it the other way. And you can enter to the small end and sometimes it feels like constriction. And sometimes it feels like our lives are being restricted and we don't have control of our lives. But eventually it gets to genuine freedom. You end up with life. And the question is, where do we want to end up? Do we end up here or here? And how, whichever way, whatever, wherever we end up depends on where we begin. The question that Jesus is posing to us is, where do you want to enter? Where do you want to end up? It really isn't about judging who's in and who's out. The command of Jesus is simply, follow me. Follow me. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for things that you want to do in our lives. We pray that you would help us to to desire your kingdom. 
to want your kingdom to be exactly what you say it is and to embrace it with all that we are. We pray that your spirit's blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. That it will be food to our souls through the grace of our crucified, risen Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.